You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about Citizens, please visit citizensbhm.com. We are in a part of Luke where the big crowds are following. They're following. They're more fans than followers. And Jesus, at the end of 14, he says, hey, this is what it takes to be my disciple. And he drops a tiny sermon to say, you must surrender everything to be my disciple. You must surrender your life, your body, your relationships, your possessions. And that probably rocked the crowd. Some of them were like, whew, I don't know about this Jesus. People taking a little bit of a pause button of being identified with Jesus. Except there's some people who hear the great cost of following Jesus and aren't bothered by it at all. Look at the people who draw near, verse 1. And now the tax collectors, people who had betrayed the Jewish people, were working for the Romans, people considered the lowest of the low, and sinners were drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees are confused about God. They live a life of earning. They want to earn. They don't have actual faith in God because they believe they must earn God's love. That's their religion. And therefore, these sinners in their eyes, the people who don't follow the Pharisees' ways, in whatever way the Pharisees have judged them to be sinners, they say, these people have no right to be near a rabbi, let alone God. What are these sinners doing with Jesus? What is Jesus doing with these sinners? And here's the thing. When you live your life as an earner, your life essentially becomes about you and what you do. And it relegates God just to be a judge somewhere on the sideline. He's just here to witness your performance. He's not the center of your life. If you've watched uh, uh, the world championships of gymnastics, it's so obvious who the stars of the show are. It's not the judges. It's the gymnasts. It's Simone Biles dominating. It's her. The judges are just something on the side. You don't know any of their names. They're just guys and gals of cards to flip around. And that's what happens. When we're earners, we are the center of the show, baby. Though we think we're here to win, we think we're here to be great but we actually are just playing a game that God won't play with us. We're trying to impress God, trying to earn his love. And the truth is we don't earn God's love or favor. Instead, we just need God. There's no need to impress. There's just a need to need him. See, the Christian faith isn't a gymnastics meet. The Christian faith is a hospital where sinners and sinner saints just cry out and cry out for the good doctor to visit them again. I've never seen anyone in a hospital bed being impressive. There's just need. If someone needs to help them or they're gonna be lost. The people in the crowd that feel their need, the ones who are being called sinners, and they draw near because they're in touch with their need. They see their great need for Jesus. So the sermon about great cost of following him, they're like, no problem, because Jesus is the only prize I need. They're getting it right. The Pharisees are getting it wrong. The Pharisees have little use for Jesus. 
All they are is that curious at best, jealous at worst. They simply think they don't need Jesus. They think Jesus eating with sinners disqualifies Jesus from being a holy man, from being a rabbi, let alone being God himself. And we need to remember, we don't try to like save the Pharisees in our head. The Pharisees are completely wrong here. They are the same people who will kill Jesus in eight chapters. They're not just a little off. Jesus is eating with sinners because God values everyone. God doesn't value you because what you've done. He doesn't value you because what you've accomplished. We got a jailbreak on our hands. (laughs) Love you, little Lila. May we all have that zeal for the Lord. God doesn't value you because you behave in city kids. God doesn't value you because what you've done. God doesn't value you because of what you've accomplished. God doesn't value you because of how you look. God doesn't value you because of how popular you are. The world values these things. Online absolutely does. The people at work probably do. The people around us are judging us all the time, likely. But God loves you because he created you. That's baseline Christianity. That God loves you because he created you. And we are loved because God is God. And as 1 John 4 tells us, God is love. But sin has separated us from God in such a way that no one can know God apart from God's pursuit of them. So if God made everyone, if God values everyone, yet because of sin, God must pursue everyone. That's what he does. He overcomes the barrier of sin between us. He is the pursuing One, so if God pursues everyone, and the Bible teaches consistently from end to end that everyone has sinned, instead of the worldview of the Pharisees that sees some as sinners and others as not, God's view is this, that all are created, all are valued, all are pursued, because all have sins, which means we're all on equal footing, There is a humble humanity to all of us that we are beautiful, loved, broken, sinned, hurting, and we're all in it together. That's the state of the Pharisees. It's the state of the people they're calling sinners. It's the state of everyone at the same time. So, of course, Jesus eats with sinners because, well, everyone has sinned, including these Pharisees. And in fact, if the Pharisees could just see their sin, they'd be fighting for a chair next to Jesus and not so worried about judging everyone else. Notice no one asks Jesus what he's doing. Jesus is either reading their hearts or just hearing their whispers. He reads our hearts like a news app. It's not hard work for him. And Jesus just decides to tell them three stories, two of which we'll explore today. And Jesus teaching them about the mission of God, 
how God sees things, how God pursues us, and ultimately how God brings us home. Verse four, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99, leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Jesus does a shocking thing here. The Pharisees thought a lot of themselves and they didn't think a whole lot about shepherds. Shepherds was about the lowest job you could have. It meant you probably couldn't read and write, means you spent most of your time in the wilderness, tending animals, you were missing bathing and showering, you were an outcast even when you were in town, you were someone who wasn't even allowed to testify in court because the Pharisees, among most people, thought shepherds were untrustworthy, that these were people who grazed in the wrong fields, that maybe stole sheep, they were outcasts. And Jesus, in his great reversal, says, the shepherd has something to teach you, Pharisees. Listen up. His habits and thinking are right. And they're right about the heart of God. See, this passage is often mistaught. That goes something like, God cares about the one, not about the 99. Look at the shepherd's actions. But what's going on here is, look closely with me. It says, what man of you? Meaning, everyone would do the following. This is the common, accepted practice. This is the wise and smart thing to do in their setting. This isn't the exceptional or reckless thing. This is the thing you should do. What man of you wouldn't do this? As in to leave the 99 safe sheep, likely with other shepherds. We see it in the Bible and historically, they always kind of work in teams that one shepherd would leave the 99 to find the one lost sheep because he values the lost sheep and because that sheep belongs to him. And because if a sheep is lost, a sheep is dead. Sheep are not smart like dogs and going to sniff their way back to the pack. Sheep are not fast like deer and going to avoid the predators. In ancient Israel, lions roamed freely, bears roamed freely, wolves roamed freely, other hungry humans roamed freely. If you were a lone sheep, you were dinner for someone. There was no chance of survival past maybe even the day, definitely not a couple days alone in the wilderness. So instead, the emphasis here is that the shepherd is putting himself at great personal risk to go after that sheep alone. The same wolves, bears, and lions are a problem. Uncertain terrain, uncertain weather. Who knows where the sheep even went? How long is this journey going to take? All that is in there that he is going to find the lost sheep. He's leaving his friends. He's leaving the sheep. He's leaving camp to basically take what he can carry to go find the one sheep. It could be quite a journey. Verse five, and when the shepherd has found it, he lays the sheep on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, 
there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That exhausted shepherd is successful. He gets the sheep, he puts it on his back with joy. Sheep are big, they're heavy, but he does it because maybe the sheep is exhausted. Maybe the sheep is hurt. Maybe the sheep is scared. Maybe the sheep is so scared it refuses to move. Sometimes animals just freeze. They just get overwhelmed. They can't do anything. And sometimes the sheep are determined to keep running away. Sounds familiar. I know when I'm caught or stuck in my sin, those are all the things I want to do. Scared, hide, exhausted by it, refusing maybe even just wanting to keep running. See, Jesus is not a careless shepherd to leaving the 99 to die. It's just the opposite. Jesus carefully pursues each and every lost sheep. He carefully pursues each and every lost person. Even though for Jesus, it will cost his life on the cross to bring us home. Jesus is the shepherd that doesn't survive the journey. And Jesus is searching, and that's why he sits with sinners. These sinners are people he values and people he wants to bring home on his very shoulders. The return of even one of these sinners crowding around Jesus is worthy of a heavenly party. That heaven rejoices, not because they don't care about the 99, but because the one lost was found. That Jesus is like any good shepherd. He's not complacent with the 99. He's not cutting his losses, say, well, I got the 99. Who cares about the one? No, he says, I must go get all that I value. The runaway, I'm not cutting my losses, but I'm going after them. Jesus doesn't say, oh, I didn't like that sheep anyways. He goes after lost sheep. Jesus pursues us until he either finds us or we die as a lost sheep. And that's the mission of God. The mission of God is the the lost are sought and found. It's a simple mission. That the lost are sought and found. And God's mission only works by his grace. It's a one-way love and forgiveness of God. It's not the story of us wandering back, but the story of God going out, going out into the world and finding us, taking the initiative to give us his word, taking the initiative to send his son, taking the initiative to go and find the lost and herding sheep and say, you belong to me. And God in every book of the Bible is moving towards sinners who are lost. And it starts with not abandoning Adam and Eve. Curses fall, they leave Eden, but God's story keeps rolling. It keeps rolling to Noah. It keeps rolling to Abraham. It keeps rolling to Israel, saving a people out of Egypt, including foreigners. It keeps rolling as a witness to all the nations of Nineveh and Egypt and everyone around. And then it culminates in sending his son and now continues in sending you, his church. That God is on a mission to seek and save the lost. And notice this missionary God 
It's good news when you realize all people have either been lost sheep or are still lost sheep, that it is good news that we have a missionary God that goes after us. And notice a big chunk of both these stories. It spends the most time on the joy of finding the lost. God is going after the lost because of joy. It is joy to go for the loss. And then finding the loss, God has joy more and shares it with us. It is from joy to joy that God's mission exists. For all of us have been lost. And still, we too easily wander away like frightened or distracted sheep. To pursue the lost because we think we're more right or to think we're more righteous than another makes our pursuit of the lost about us again. We go back to the gymnastics meet. I'm here to perform, God. I'm here to prove myself. Look at me. We pursue the lost because God has found us. This makes our pursuit about joining God in his search for what he values, belonging to God and saving people in danger. To have a zeal for mission without a deeper zeal for God himself makes us misguided at best and bigoted at worst. God wants nothing to do with a mission to prove ourselves but wants everything to do of us joining God's mission in joy to continue to bring the loss to him. So Jesus tells another story, verse eight. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found a coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Each coin here is a drachma, which is a really cool sounding word. I'll say it together. Drachma. It's worth one day's wages for manual labor. So today's money, 100 bucks, maybe 150 bucks if you got a good job. The equivalent, it's just this coin. It's about the price of a sheep. And so this woman has 10 days of work saved up, two weeks. It's some money, but it's not a lot of money if that's all the money you have to your name. And again, Jesus is using someone the Pharisees would disregard, a relatively poor woman, to teach these men continues this theme of reversals through Luke. And the story is very straightforward. There's no hidden theme. There's no big key to understand. She has 10 coins. She loses one coin. So instead of 1% of your wealth going missing like the shepherd, for her, it's 10% of her wealth has now gone missing. And she searches and she searches only to find the coin and rejoice again. It's the same pattern as before. The mission of God is the lost are sought and found, so we rejoice. But I don't think it dawns on the Pharisees what Jesus is really getting at. In fact, I know it doesn't because Jesus will tell another story after this. But this is what Jesus is getting at. 
He's using the lesser to the greater argument, which he commonly does in the Gospels. If you would do this journey of searching and then wild celebration for 1% of your wealth, if you would desperately and urgently search for a coin that's 10% of your wealth, lighting a lamp, searching the dim floor, tearing up the house, and then celebrate when you find, then what would you do for an actual person made by God? Who is of far greater value than all the coins in the world. More value than all the sheep. What would you do for a member of your own family? Remember, this crowd is almost entirely Jews, people who would very much see themselves as belonging to God and belonging to each other as fellow Jews. I went to high school with a guy named Justin Gaines. We played on the football team together. I think I got a picture of him here. Uh, that's Justin and his wife, I mean, his mom, not his wife, his mom, Erica. Um, he would graduate Brookwood High, my high school, in 2007. And that fall, um, he would go to a nightclub near my house. He would step outside the nightclub. And on a grainy security footage, that would be the last time anyone ever saw or heard from him. He is 16 years missing. It's very likely an unsolved murder crime at this point. And even after all these years, his family by no means has given up. They do interviews all the time with the news on the anniversary of his death like clockwork. They work with police and leads even now. Erica by no means has just moved on. It's the only logical option. If someone is missing, they must be found. What else would there be to do? And that's what Jesus is getting at. That every sinner is a missing person to God. That this is what Jesus is doing then. That's what Jesus is doing now. That's what Jesus is doing today. That's what Jesus is doing in Birmingham. That's what Jesus is doing in the entire world. That God is like Erica, Justin's mom. God isn't giving up. He isn't giving in. God isn't letting go, and he isn't going to move on. This is the God who pursues us. God's already paid the price of his son to bring us home. The man is in it to the point of blood and beyond. And if you can hear my voice, you're not here on accident. But I know God longs to carry you home too, just like he's doing for me. Jesus is the search party to the lost to seek to find and ultimately carry us home. The end of the shepherd and the woman's story is this picture of celebration. They use the word heaven and angels here so that God can talk about himself, saying God's gonna leap and dance over everyone who comes home. That God is excited enough that he will be jumping with joy. That all the missing posters that line heaven of all the people will be shredded to confetti and thrown like a party because you've come home. Jesus longs to party over every person. That every single birthday and anniversary and work party and trunk or treat 
Let every party you've ever been to remind you there's another party coming. They all point to one party. Church, it's sin that blinds us from getting home. It's our love for idols, the things we love more than God in this world that distract us and lead us away. It's sometimes the big wounds, the big sins against us that make us wander from the shepherd. Satan and this world, it traps and tempts us to find life anywhere but in Jesus. Yet Jesus is the only way home. Jesus has a mission statement in Luke. It's 19.10. It says this. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. If you wonder what Jesus is doing, that's what he's doing. He's seeking you and saving you, whether you're lost or already found. He's saving you deeper, saving you stronger, rooting out the parts of you that want to wander day by day, year by year, because his heart is for you. Why is Jesus eating with sinners? They grumbled. Because sinners are more valuable than sheep. Sinners are more valuable than coins. Sinners are people that Jesus has made. They are lost, but Jesus is finding them. And church, this is why we love Jesus. See, the question isn't really, why is Jesus eating with sinners? But why are we not desperately trying to bring our brothers and sisters of humanity to the table? The Pharisees should be looking at themselves going, wait a minute, we're supposed to be the religious leaders and we're too busy judging everyone to pursue anyone. And the same with us. That we can go and know that God is seeking and the saving the lost, that God is with us. We have nothing to prove. We have nothing to lose. We do it because of the joy of we found in Jesus. And we go to all people, knowing all people need our sweet Jesus. Church, we were all once lost and we still stray from Jesus too easily. We have a good shepherd that died for our running away, for all of our sins on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead in order to carry us home. Church, it's God that carries us or we're not getting home at all. The story is not that the coin rolled back into her pocket. The story is not that the sheep goes, you know what? I'm gonna find my way home today. The story is that a shepherd's gone looking, that the shepherd wants you, and that everyone can follow Jesus if Jesus is going to do the caring. Amen? Because God pursues the lost, finds and rejoices with all of heaven, now in our joy we can pursue the lost too. Let us be as zealous as Jesus, follow his lead to love everyone, to search, to pursue, to find, to not have any more chance encounters, but to say everyone I bump into is someone that needs Jesus and that I can love. Invite people into your home. Invite people by serving them. Invite them to church to hear the gospel. And just tell people what God's done in your life. How is God carrying you home? It's compelling and people need to hear and that you can tell them with full confidence that Jesus is coming over the hill to gather them next, that he's coming. He's coming for all of us. And that's good news. 
Church, you are the rescue party. It's you. There is no B team. We're the A team and we're the only team. All of God's churches, not just us, but you are the church and he longs to use you. The Pharisees likely think, oh, we're the nine coins. Cool. Oh, we're, we're the 99 sheep. We are safe and we are faithful. Got it. You're, you're going after the one, but we're good. And the Pharisees are very wrong once again. And next week, we'll hear Jesus tell them a story that's often mistitled, the prodigal son. More appropriate, a better title would be a father with two lost sons. And the Pharisees will be warned that there is more than one way to be lost. Don't stay out in the wilderness. Don't stay lost, church. Come to a shepherd that loves you, proved it by his own blood, and will carry you home no matter what it is. Listen to the shepherd's voice today for God is calling you to himself.